0: And I built up such a trust in this guy that I would be willing to go to war for him. Like, that's my boy right there. Like, let's go. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a bad boss Now, I have a feeling that that's probably a more common affirmative in the answer across this room is that many of us have had that experience with that boss who maybe he was short-tempered or just a jerk in their attitude. Maybe this individual was impatient or unkind. I know one time I had a boss where he would wait right up until it was time for me to go home and it was time for me to clock out and then he would give me a long list of things to do. And I'd be like, oh, come on, right? Like there's just this frustration within us as we have to deal with those who are in authority above us who sometimes don't lead us in the way that we should go. Well, that is what Simon Peter is addressing in his letter is he's now, in chapter 2, gotten to the point where he's talking about the practical application of the gospel. What we've seen throughout chapter 1 is that we indeed have an inheritance that is imperishable. We have the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out for our sins, and we have been sprinkled with that blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and we have a position in Christ that we can never lose because we have Christ. But now Simon Peter has made a transition, he's made a pivot point in his letter in which he says, now, this is what the gospel practically looks like in your life. And so this morning, we're going to be looking about what the gospel looks like in submission to a boss. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. As you're turning there, we have been traveling through First Peter for quite a long time. And so if you want to go back and listen to previous sermons, get some context of what has led up to this, uh, you can get that on our website, gowestwood.org. Uh, or you can download our app for free where there is just a plethora of information there that you can grab hold of. But you can also listen to previous sermons through that app, and it's just a great resource for you to utilize. Leading up to verse 18 and following, we see Peter coming to the point where he is going to begin speaking directly to Christians who have been scattered throughout modern-day Turkey who are slaves. Now, he's not talking metaphorically about slaves, like slaves who are oppressed by the government, or maybe these are people who are, who, who are dealing with socioeconomic setbacks, or maybe these are people who are receiving oppression because of ethnocentric haters out there. No, 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 no. When he uses the phrase slaves here, as you're going to see here in just a moment, these are men and women and children who are owned by other people. Now, you and I have to be careful that we don't read the scriptures through the lens of the glasses of Western culture presuppositions. Okay, so if we, we look at this text here in just a moment, if we force our American understanding of slavery, we're going to put on the mindset of what ante, the, the antebellum South looked like during pre-Civil War days and with African slavery. And if we do that, we're going to miss the, the context of this letter Now, some of these slaves that Peter is writing to, they were better educated than their masters. In fact, back in that day, even some slaves owned slaves of their own. But make no mistake here, the slaves here that we're going to be reading about, they were the property of their owners. And in fact, these slaves are those who did not even have the the recognition as being fully human. But not so from the Lord. The scriptures hold all people in high regard. All people are image bearers, made by God and for his glory. And even though these slaves that we're about to read about, they were rejected by the ruling class of their day, they were still loved by God, made by God, and for his glory. You see, Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 3. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, in the kingdom of God, there is no dominant race, there is no dominant gender. There is no dominant status on freedom. Everyone, regardless of skin color, income, or or sex, or gender, has equal access to God through Christ. Indeed, the ground is level at the cross. The beauty of the gospel is we see here Peter speaking not to the masters, but to the slaves. He is speaking to those who are in humble submission for the sake of the rest of their lives. And so he takes a portion of his letter and he speaks directly into the lives of these household slaves. And he is coaching them up on how they are to glorify Christ right where they already are. And even though they were slaves, they were positioned to receive good gifts from God. Maybe you're here today And you are so frustrated with your boss that you are dreading going to work tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Or maybe you're here today and it's becoming to the point where you just have a difficult time following the leadership of those above you in the office and you're just not sure what to do. Well, I want you to notice in the text two good gifts that God has given you that are yours for the taking through your obedience. Let me show you. The first gift that God gives you is this, is that submission leads to blessing. Submission leads to blessing. Look at verse 18. Peter writes, "Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel, for it brings favor if Because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Now, Peter is addressing these slaves who are working under the authority of an owner. And notice what he calls them, verse 18. He he calls them to submit to your masters with all reverence. Now this this submission is a humbling of oneself. It is getting in the proper order, following under someone else's authority. You are quite literally falling in line. Now the word submission, You, Britain, will even throw your tea in the harbor, okay? We are not a submissive people. But we see that also in the, in the light of the culture around us, in which feminists will declare we will not submit to authority, especially authority that is patriarchal. We are a people that reject submission. But here, Peter is calling upon believers who are household slaves to submit to their masters, well, you can probably imagine their response. Maybe they said, well, 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 Peter, what if the master is harsh? What if the boss, what if my authority, the one above me, is mean and nasty? And let's say he's unjust and even corrupt. What about them, Peter? Well, Peter answers them. Verse 18, you're to submit to them too, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel Peter's saying whether your master is awesome or an absolute jerk, you're to submit to their authority. Because remember, these these believers here, these slaves, they they couldn't go on monster.com and find a new job. They couldn't go to LinkedIn and network their way into a new position. For many of them, this was their lot in life. And yet Peter says that submission, verses 19 and 20, it brings favor. Favor. It brings blessing from the Lord. When believers submit to their leaders whom God has placed in authority over them, it brings, it brings blessing from God. Don't miss this. God will always reward the faithfulness of his people. He will always reward the faithfulness of his people. Just as an earthly father loves to give good gifts to his children, our heavenly father loves to give good gifts to you. And there is coming a day, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, in which we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for our lives and it is there we will receive a reward For our faithfulness as believers. And yet, here in the text, we see that we are being called to submission to earthly masters who may be good and they may be evil. And yet, we are to submit nonetheless. And when you do, God will reward your faithfulness. But you see, this submission, Peter tells us, it overflows from our relationship with God. Look at verse 19. We submit because of a consciousness of God. This is a reference to your to your conscience. This is a reference to your knowledge of God. Okay, so your relationship with God is the means through which you are able to submit. So when slaves endure unjust suffering, they do so, they're willing to submit because of their relationship with the Lord. And God will reward your submission. And so this week, if your boss begins to give you grief... If you're at a job where you're just like, I'm not sure if I can keep following this person who's in authority above me, here's Hymen Peter say, You need to submit to their position. And the way that you have the, the ability and the power to submit to those in authority above you, it comes from your consciousness of God, it comes from your knowledge of God, it comes from your relationship with the Lord. But listen, if you do wrong, verse 20 you deserve to be punished. If you're habitually late to meetings, if you don't show up prepared, if you spend more time playing on your phone than actually getting the job done, if students, you show up to class and you're a distraction and you're, you're talking to other people instead of listening to your instructor, if you're not showing up as one eager to serve the one whom God has placed in authority above you, then you should be disciplined. Peter's saying there's no credit for getting in trouble and for being a fool. But if you do what is good and you still suffer and endure the punishment, verse 20, this brings favor with the Lord. So Kenneth, how do I respond to a demanding boss? What's this look like practically? Okay, Kenneth, I hear the principle. I hear what the scripture's commanding me to do. How do I go and live this out? Let me give you four quick ways. The first is this. You respond to a demanding boss by praying for them. You pray for them. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, Pray continually. It's a continual posture of prayer in which you're interceding on behalf of others. And whether your boss is godly or your boss is difficult to deal with, then you want to pray for them. You see, it's through your prayers that you get to influence those who are in authority above you. God is the one who can Soften the hard heart. God is the one who sovereignly can dictate situations and circumstances. God is the one who oversees the works of kings and the works of peasants. And so when you begin to pray for your boss, you are allowing God, you're not allowing God, you're inviting God to begin working in your ministry, in your life, at your job, for the sake of benefit for all. You see, prayer is a weapon of warfare. And your prayers are able to influence people and change circumstances and to make the impossible become possible. The second way is to submit to their position. Now, even when you disagree with them, you honor them as your authority. We talked about this last week with the government, is that we are to submit, as, as, as Peter says earlier in chapter 2, to the government authorities through emperors and kings, those whom God places in authority above us. Now make no mistake, there are going to be times where you're going to disagree. There's times I vehemently disagree with our government. There's times in which uh, I had a boss over me, in which I disagreed with what they were doing. I totally was not on board, and yet we're called to submit. We're called to, to follow and to humble ourselves unless, we talked about this last week, here's the caveat, we submit unless it violates the word of God. If your government or if your boss or if your teacher asks you or commands you to do something that violates the Bible and you have to choose, do I obey the Lord or do I obey my boss, it becomes the Lord every time in those situations and circumstances. We're to submit to those in authority above us. And so this is a challenge, y'all, and I'm not sure how this is hitting you, but it hits me like, oh man, Can I be honest? I've been kind of dreading preaching this sermon because I'm like, I don't want to submit. But that's my flesh. The Lord says, I want you to see what my son has done, which we're going to see here in just a minute, of how Christ sets the example of submission. But for you and I to practically have to follow or submit or get underneath the authority of someone who's not great to follow, the way forward is through submission to their position. Listen, if you can't agree with the person, still submit to the position. Thirdly, model godliness. Model godliness. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is true for all believers at all times. Your work ethic is a means of evangelism to those around you. If your boss is just difficult to submit to and hard to work for, your godly life can be the means that God uses to sway them in the way that they should go. It's amazing that even when believers live godly lives and we are attacked, made fun of, criticized because we're following Jesus, it's those very people who criticize and come after us, they know where to go when tragedy strikes. When difficulty comes in their lives, they don't go to their drinking buddies, they go to those who are following Jesus. They run to those who are modeling godliness. Well, as believers, we are to display godliness before a watching world. And you give God glory, and you get the joy when you display godliness in the workplace. Fourthly, when it comes to your boss, give them grace. Grace you don't know what they're going through. Your boss at work may be dealing with a divorce that he hasn't told anybody about. Your boss may be dealing with a dying parent. They may be dealing with pressure from their boss, and so their difficulty they're placing upon you is because of stress that's coming from somewhere else. You see, a mark of maturity is willing to endure the punishment and the blows of others and to respond with grace. And we're going to look at how to do that here in just a minute when we get to the next section, but I want you to hear me on this, is that when it comes to your boss, show them grace. Extend to them the forgiveness and the grace that you have received in the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you are able to receive the cursing of others and respond with blessing. Why? Because that's exactly what we did to Jesus. Before you knew Christ, you and I, we cursed him with our lips. We cursed him with our attitudes. We cursed him with our behaviors. And he responds, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You are to extend grace. We deal grace to others with generosity because that is what God has done for us in the gospel. So the key here is to think well of them. Give them the benefit of the doubts. Don't slander, talk down, or gossip. But be a dealer of grace. So if you're going to submit, this is important. You've got to be willing to suffer. Because that's where Peter goes here with the text. Well, the question is, why? Why do I have to suffer, Kenneth? I don't want to have to suffer. Submission equals suffering? No thanks. Why should I have to do that? Well, Peter tells us why. It's because that's what Jesus did. You see, the second good gift that God gives to you is himself. Number two, suffering leads to Jesus. Look at verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Boy, is that a verse. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As Peter is calling upon these slaves to submit to their earthly masters, he says you've gotta be willing to endure suffering. And even if, if you do wrong, He reminds them of your motivation. Even if you're gonna suffer for doing right, he reminds them of their motivation. And their motivation is not a locker room pep talk. Their their motivation is not a banner that's hung up at the water cooler. Their, Their motivation is not some smiling motivational speaker. Their motivation is Jesus. Your motivation for both submission and for suffering is found in Christ. He is both the model and the motivation. Verse 21, Peter says, For you were called to this. Well, called to what? Suffering. Verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. As followers of Jesus, we go the way of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. As those who belong to Christ, we must be willing to walk where he walked, do what he did, and to follow his lead. You see, this call to follow Christ is not one where it's awesome, where it's, where it's rainbows and unicorns and, and gumdrops and life is going to be happy. No, no, no. A call to Jesus is a call to die. You've got to be willing to suffer and endure the persecution, as Simon Peter is writing here throughout his letter, for the sake of Christ. But we see, even, even look at, with me at 1 Peter four thirteen. Peter says rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Those are two words that don't go together often, rejoicing and suffering, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. You see, joy is not the common reaction to suffering, but if the joy that was set before him, Jesus goes to the cross, then we too, verse 21, can gladly follow our Savior's example, even when we have a bad boss, or even when we face a world that despises Jesus and his people. But you see, suffering is used by God for another purpose, namely, it's 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 transforming us to become like christ don't miss this god uses your suffering for jesus to become more like jesus he wants to conform you into the image of jesus and the way that he will conform you to christ is primarily through suffering he will do whatever it takes to conform you into the image of jesus and so when you suffer for righteousness' sake, remember that you're following in the footsteps of Jesus who, was call, who has called you to walk in his ways. So what is the example that Christ has left for us to follow in? Well, quote, quoting Isaiah 53, Peter tells us how suffering leads us to Jesus. We see this here in verses 22 and following. I want you to see these, these, these four marks. The first is truth-telling. Verse 22, he did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus always was, Jesus always is, and Jesus always will be sinless. Never committing a sin, holy and perfect, righteous and just in all of his ways. He never lied, and he always spoke the truth. Hear me today, in a world filled with lies in which we can't even trust the information that we receive on our TVs or phones, I want you to hear me today, Jesus will never lie to you. He is a source of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who will never lie to your face. You can trust everything he says so that when you stand before that biology teacher and college or that philosophy professor who seeks to deconstruct what you have put your faith in, please know they will lie to you. But Jesus will never lie to you. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And therefore, we as followers of Jesus must follow in his path by always being truth tellers, always speaking the truth. I was having a conversation last week with a man in our church who in his business, his co-workers and his uh, bosses were fudging numbers. And they began to pressure him to begin doing the same. And they said, if you don't get on board, you're going to lose your job and we're going to cut you off and you'll have no income. He had a decision to make. What was he going to do? Well, I praise God, this man chose the way of Jesus. And so he politely and humbly bowed out of his job and went on to a new role. Note, his income was cut in half, it was difficult. For a season in his life, things got very difficult for his family financially. But I praise God that when it came down to the truth, he stood firm in Christ. That's the way of Jesus. No deceit was found in his mouth. Therefore, as those who belong to him, therefore there must be no deceit found in ours. The second mark of suffering we see here in the text is taming the tongue. Verse 23, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When Jesus stood before the interrogation of the Sanhedrin, they falsely accused him. They slandered him and they insulted him. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, Pharisees and Roman soldiers and even people who were passing by were insulting him and mocking him, saying, he can't even save himself. If you truly are the son of God, get down off that cross and then we're gonna believe. And yet before them all, he did not insult them in return. He stayed silent. Listen, when you are mocked and you are slandered and you are gossiped about and when you are cursed, you have to have the courage not to fight back. The strength is found through submission and being willing to endure the, the, the cursing and the insults of others so that you might in turn return blessing. We see this in Jesus who tamed his tongue and instead of Getting the last word, he said no word at all. Thirdly, turning the other cheek. Verse 23: when he suffered, he did not threaten. Imagine this. God, who is sovereign over all, Jesus being fully God and fully man, who endures the full wrath of the Father, he turns the other cheek the one who has the power to throw people into hell decided to show mercy. And he takes the abuse of others and he turns the other tree. How rare it is to see this on display. We're a people that whenever we are offended, we like to curse back. When someone verbally assaults our political party, we're quick to Assault theirs. If someone is unkind to us, we declare vengeance is mine instead of the Lord's. You see, mature believers are willing to endure the attacks of others and be willing to turn the other cheek. Why? Because we're weak? No, it's because he is strong and we are entrusting ourselves to him, which is number four. We are trusting the Father. Verse 23, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus knew who was in control. There was never a moment he wondered if his Father would come through He knew that God is the one who judges justly. And so Jesus trusted his Father in heaven. Whatever you're facing right now in your life, entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. If you're under attack, trust the Father. If someone is out to get you, trust the Father. If it feels like darkness is settling in, trust the Father. Jesus completely entrusted himself to his Father that he went to the cross. where Verse 24, he took our sins on his body on that tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. He was bruised and wounded on the cross so that you might be healed of your sickness of sin. Though you were like sheep who have gone astray, your shepherd and true pastor came after you. He pursued you, and he refused to leave you lost. You have a Savior who loves you and bled and died for you at the cross and rose again on the third day to give new life to those who trust in him. It's amazing here that God, in his kindness, has given us good gifts. Two great gifts, as we see in the text, but they come at a cost. Submission and suffering. But Jesus Christ is your Savior who sets for you the example of the way that you should walk. And you have a Savior who modeled it, who motivates you to obey it, You see, he's not only your king and your friend, but Jesus is the greatest boss you will ever have. And trust yourself to him.